summer house with several friends. Good evening and welcome to this week's worldwide broadcast of The Joyner Report. Now here's your host, Angela Joyner. Welcome to the Joiner Report at WPRN-FM New Orleans and at UFOParanormalRadioNetwork.com. It's good to see all you guys in the Pal Talk chat room again. I always love that. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about a multi-generational abduction case spanning the last 46 years from 1954 to 2010 involving six family members in five states. Sounds pretty incredible, huh? The family is the Reed family, and tonight we have brothers Tom and Matt to tell us of their strange experiences, and likely, because this has been over 46 years, we probably won't get through all of it, but we'll do the best we can. Welcome, Tom and Matt. Thank you. And we also have Allison Burgess. Uh, she has just been promoted to the Assistant State Director of MUFON in Tennessee. I first met uh, Allison last year when they asked me to speak there uh, in Memphis, and uh, we hit it off immediately, and we stayed in contact all of this time. But she's very familiar with this case. Uh, the case has been documented, documented by uh, MUFON since 1987, and the case number is 22994, if you'd like to look it up in the MUFON CMS. Um, Allison arranged for the brothers to speak at the MUFON Symposium this year, and I hear they even impressed Travis Walton. Welcome, Allison. Hi, Angela. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. It's always so good to hear your voice. Listen, Allison. What impresses you most about the claims of the Reed family? Well, personally for me, um, the most compelling thing is just the amount of evidence that we have, um, as well as the ongoing documentation. Um, you know, they've been reporting uh, their experiences for some time, so we've got all kinds of documentation as this, as this stuff goes along. We also have um, polygraph reports. We've got statements from hypnotherapists, we have blood work, I mean, the, the evidence is just absolutely overwhelming. So personally for me, that was what really clicked in my head and said, oh my goodness, this is real. Okay. I understand um, that uh, there's been quite a, a lot of testing done and that sort of thing, that it's uh, fairly well documented. Now, I'm not familiar with all of it like you are, but um, Matt, can you tell us who the six family members are in your family, in the Reed family, that are involved? Matthew, do you hear me? Uh-oh. Well, I, I can probably answer that for you. Okay. Um, that's all right. Um, yeah, we have um, my grandmother, um, Marion Burroughs, and then um, my mother, um, my father, Howard, um, who was a, a first selectman. And then, of course, there's myself, Matthew, and my son. And then there were also um, very good friends of the family, uh, Ruth Agar, who we haven't discussed really in the past, only because uh, I don't think she'd really want that. But uh, that's really it. I mean, the only one that really um, had the, well, the one that 
I remember our family that um, really didn't have as much activity was my father. And he was the only one in our family that was not RH negative. So that's kind of one of the reasons we've leaned towards the, uh, the trend that we have. All right. So your your father hasn't had as much happen with him as the rest of you guys, right? No. And, and, and he passed on um, four years ago. And that's the only reason that we started, um, you know, talking about this uh, more openly because of his, uh, you know, political career. We we certainly didn't want to taint that in any way. And what was uh, your father involved in politically? He was um, a judge of probate, first electman, mayor. He ran the Democratic ticket with Senator Christopher Dodd. Um, he made a lot of changes in the uh, in the Connecticut uh, uh, learning system for inner city children. There's a actually a, uh, a holiday in his honor in the city of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Well, I'm so, sorry uh, that he, you've lost him. Uh, what was his name? Well, his name was Howard Reed. Howard Reed. Okay. Um, I need to see if we still have Matthew with us. Matthew, are you there? Hmm. I think we've lost Matt somehow. Maybe Joe can uh, get him back for us. But um, anyway... If you would, okay, yeah, Joe's going to try to call him again. I hear it ringing. Let's see what happens here. Hello? Matt, we lost you somehow. <laughs> I know. It was very sad. So it's, it's <laughs> I'm sorry. Now. <laughs> no, it's all right. Well, I'm sorry. Um, I, we were just kind of reviewing the family members that are... Uh, have been involved with these abductions. I understand it's your grandmother, mother, father, your brother Tom, and Tom's son. And do you have children, Matt? I do. I have two children. I have a 20-year-old um, and a 5-year-old. But they don't have any experiences? Um, my oldest son does, but um, we're just now reviewing that with um, the um, MUFON group in Indiana. Okay, so really at least seven of you. Um, all right, uh, Tom, if you would take us back to 1954 when all this began. Well, 1954, um, my mother was uh, 15 years old, and she was uh, uh, with her her mother and um, her brother Bob and um, a friend of hers, uh name was Kip, and... Uh, used to actually somewhat date Bob or brother, and they were uh, going to um, Maine. My, um, they were looking at some colleges there for future for, for Bob, who was a little bit older, and uh, they had um, decided to uh, rent a cabin at Moosehead uh, Lake, and um, like a log cabin, uh, while they were there, um, right on the lake, actually, and uh she wrote me a letter, actually, with great detail about the weather and everything. But the, the um, what happened um, about the uh, the night? I guess they were there. Um, she uh, woke up at uh, two o'clock in the morning, and uh, I kept it in the other room. And uh, she uh, had recalled uh, about six beans or so around her bed. She referred to them as creatures in her in her statement, and. Um, couldn't uh, she could see them? She was wide awake. It wasn't one of these um, anything other than I mean, it was as real as it gets. She um, couldn't move. She referred to it as being like a mannequin 
where she was uh, she couldn't expand her her chest or, or breathe, or it was just kind of like a, a state where her uh, you know she could see, move her eyes, and, and I experienced pretty much the same thing. So I know exactly what she was talking about. And uh, how old were you when she told you about this? Um, well, she started talking about it. Um, she talked to a grandmother, my grandmother, Marion, about it um, right after it happened. So, um, but we didn't talk in any depth about it probably until uh, about the 80s when I Matt? started. Oh, until the yes. 80s. So, Matt, were you privy to those conversations also? Um, I I was not. Um, I, I I was the silent type. Um, though the experiences I have that we'll get to um, were very real, this was something that we just didn't openly discuss. I just assumed it went away, um, very much like I, I've been told would be like a, a victim of sexual assault. It's just easier to let it go. My brother had talked about it and had mentioned it through the years. I just was like, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I just didn't really want to discuss it. And I too found out from my mother's experiences around that same time um, but it still wasn't something we never sat around you know the living room table and, and discussed it so if it was talked about it was one on one with one of you and, and kind of kept hush hush correct pretty much Matthew and I um, my my mother um, would talk about it but um, my father really didn't out of respect for our dad, uh, we really were tight-lipped about it. Um, you know, about it, my brother and I more than anything, um, and my mother, um, pretty much. But uh, yeah, my father was, uh, you know, uh, you know, he was a powerful local individual, and um, the last thing he needed was, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's a said, career killer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and to clarify that, and, and really to clarify, it was he was our stepfather. Um, though very much loved and respected as our father. He was our stepfather, so he came into our lives later on um, and really kind of took control of the family, so we had a lot of respect for him. So he kind of came into, I don't know, let's say Chapter 11 of of the, the family history with this. So um, though he understood and he, he heard the stories and um, was compassionate, understanding, not 100%, sure of it all, obviously, because he hadn't had any personal experiences himself, um, when we saw that he was becoming very involved in politics and, and heavily networking into um, his, his mission was to make a change in, in the Department of Education, um, it wasn't something we wanted to embarrass him about. And, and okay, well, let's, let's go back. But go ahead. I was going to say, unfortunately, we live in a society where it's not commonplace or accepted to wear any belief on your cuff. Right. So having said that, you just kind of had to keep a little bit tight-lipped about it. Right. Now let's go back to uh, your mother at 2 o'clock in the morning at the log cabin, and this was the first experience that she remembered and um, told you about Tom, and at that time was she taken? What... what, um what her words are that uh, she was around um she was surrounded by um, about a half dozen beings she could actually see them um and uh, she came up and out of um 
this state where she, she couldn't breathe. She um, was kind of panicked. She, she worded it as that she was in the middle of a swallow, like she was trying to swallow at the time, and all of a sudden her throat was locked up. Um, she uh, could only move her eyes. She felt like um, like a porcelain mannequin, and that was just how it was. And then she'd kind of go out and, and come back, and it'd be in a different spot. And uh, what was unique about it was that um, she did talk to her mother, Marion, the, the following morning, or at least tried to early on, as difficult as it was. And um, as crazy as this, this was for her, Kip, who was in the other room, experienced almost the exact same thing. So when they talked, it was just it was just unbelievable that they could hear this. And as crazy as it sounded, certainly back then, that she wasn't alone in it. And, um, so the but they were in night, separate bedrooms. Separate bedrooms in the same cabin. And so both the of them were alone in bed? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but they were minors, you know. Um, so uh, the following night... They actually went outside. They refused to sleep inside the cabin, and they slept on a um, like a lock a, a rock ledge that came out over like a part of the lake. And they stayed outside, and they brought pillows and blankets, and they refused to go back into that room. And they were there about uh, three or four days, and they kind of camped out for the rest of the days, and, and they left the cabin. So. Well, that's a pretty incredible story. I don't know if I would have slept in there again either. Allison, have you met Mrs. Reed, their mother? No, I have not. And actually, I wasn't even the investigator that was into this case. However, I have followed it um, since it got into Tennessee MUFON fans. And uh, there's actually going to be an article in the MUFON Journal about it, so I'm very familiar with the case. But no, I have not met her. Okay. And uh, who is the MUFON investigator that works with the Reed family? His name is Steve White, and he is out of Knoxville, um, and he did an absolutely excellent job with this case. He um, sort of left no stone unturned, so to speak, so we're just very happy with the amount of evidence he was able to get for us. Okay. He was a, he was a police officer, actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's always good to know. That's good background for investigations. All right. And, uh, do what? He practically lived here. Um, basically, <laughs> but no, he, he took the uh, case over, I think, in December or January, and just until that last MUFON conference, um, the last couple of months, he backed off a little bit, but he was here constantly. Um, we would meet for lunch and met with the director. I mean, he, he really was, uh, he interviewed my brother, my mother, uh, friends, ex-wife, um, and multiple times. And um, he actually went with me when I took my polygraph test and had been with me when I did the, uh, the hypnosis uh, regression, which um, really didn't turn up much more than, than I already knew. But uh, he really... Um, he, he so who all, who all has taken polygraph tests? Oh, just me. Tom, that's you? Yes. And uh, what other tests have you taken? Um, well... Polygraph was uh, the, the only test. I did go to the Knoxville uh, Hypnosis Center um, again with uh, with Mufon. And uh, as far as tests goes, that's that was probably that was probably it. My son has had a lot of tests because well, he has he a lot of uh, your blood work. Uh, not to interrupt. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Right. I, I've had, um, as far as my work and, and that sort of thing, yeah, I went to the doctor's office and had my blood taken to find out what kind of blood I have, and they have those papers, too, um, as everyone, my son does, too. Matter of fact, I think I, I even emailed um, Allison a copy of my son's today so she'd make sure she'd have one for today's show. But So this but, is, uh, uh, you all have an RH uh, negative blood negative. factor? And yeah, except my, for your stepfather, of course, that would make sense because he's your stepfather. Right. What about your natural father? Do you know anything about him? I haven't seen my natural father since I was about a year old. They separated okay. in Colorado at a very young age. And what what do you think the significance of your uh, siblings, your mother, your grandmother, and all having the RH factor? What is What is that? Well... First of all, it's the only common denominator at all um, that makes sense. Um, secondly, um, O negative, which is what I have, and I've had more experiences than anyone else in the family, uh, second to my brother. Um, I, even my, just to back up for a second, even when I got married to uh, Angela, um, she had um, a situation too. I mean, we, we were there when a craft was right in front of our car, and nothing had ever happened to her, and she's AB negative, and that happened when she was pregnant. So there's definitely a link, and I also, um, for whatever reason, I, I'm very sure of this, but when in 1966, when when I was on board, um, there's like a feeling, um, it's not like someone's speaking English to you, but there's that feeling that you're important, there's a reason you're there, and I have this one belief that it had to do with our uh, our makeup or something to do with our, our uh, lying or um, genetics of some sort. And that How was old the were you then? I was then. You were 10? Six. You were six when you were first taken, and Matt, you would have been four? Correct. Okay. And um, even at ten, at six years old you intuitively knew that there was something important about your body makeup to Absolutely. the alien. Absolutely. I stood right there. Because that's kind and of a strange hand. thing for a six-year-old to think about, you know? Well, it is. And um, and I remember standing, I still remember standing there right in this doorway area leading into uh, another room when he had actually put his, his right hand on my left shoulder and... That's when I got the feeling that you know it was being it was being relayed that I was important. Now I I don't know at that point I knew it was blood. Matter of fact, I when they showed the screen with a willow tree, which made no sense to me at all, and, and still to this day is hasn't really come to full turn, I guess. But I thought at the time they, it was one of these things where our where we come from, if you will, is similar to your planet, and um, which I don't think that was it at all. Um, I think it was more of a symbolic type of message. But at the well, let's talk time, about this uh, this first abduction. What year was it? The first abduction was 66 for me. All right. And, uh, Matt, were you involved in this abduction also? According to my brother, I was, but my memories are from 1967. Okay, well, let's start with 1966, Tom. Let's just tell us what happened. Okay. 
Um, my brother and I were in a shared bedroom. Um, I had the bottom bunk, he had the top. Um, it was not the, uh, the norm. Usually, you know, once in a while I would switch. He was kind of young, so I'd take the top once in a while. But um, it was right around the time he started more getting, more like getting a, a kick out of climbing the ladder and everything. So uh, on this particular particular night, um, it started with orbs. The first thing that happened, we had orbs in our room. There was um, five of them actually. That it was like a vibe in the air. Um, it was, uh, I, and I keep saying it's like a three moon feeling. Like if if there was a full moon out and you triple it maybe three times, that's really how it feels. You have this uh, like an energy, and, and you can't sleep, and you're not sure why. There's a little bit of an anxiety to it, and and um, it's like an energy in the air, and you just can't sleep. And you just know something's different. And my brother and I were wide awake when we should have been tired. And, and um, so uh, anyway, I was on the bottom bunk, and um, I just couldn't sleep. And and uh, we had a little white clock radio on the nightstand. And um, it wasn't until I leaned over to look at what time it was, I realized that um, you know, I could see the clock pretty well. And, and it should have been darker now. And um, I looked up towards the window, and um, there, there they were. There was five orbs, the size of maybe a uh, small uh, plate that you might put a coffee cup on. And um, it had like a the center of it was almost like a hole in the air, as the way I've been describing it. And the outer, the outer ring had a like a gray or bluish ring around it, so it like looked like a bubble. And um, one kind of broke away to the left and went along the back side of the wall and about a foot down from the ceiling. And it uh, traveled about uh, 10 feet until it was about opposite my pillow on the left side near that near a, a closet door and then the entrance door to the room. And it, it stayed there for a moment. And um, you know, I looked at it. I was, for whatever reason, that... Um, it bothered me a lot, and I, I felt like it was, um, I kept closing my eyes, thinking, and I'd open it, thinking it'd go away, and, and um, I did that like three or four times before it actually did, before it just went. But one of the things that um, I remember about that is how we felt um, before I actually saw them, and it occurred to me that the way the bunk beds were lined up, I couldn't see that part of the window under, from the bottom bunk. So it wasn't until I leaned over to see the clock that I noticed them up higher. So I think that the um, the energy or whatever it is that came to that uh, was because they were there longer than I noticed them. I think it was there quite you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes beforehand. Okay. So so that's kind of what happened with the orbs. And um, so then um, maybe a week or so later, um, I don't know exactly, but it was not far after that, that... Um, Again, there was this, uh, you know, that same boom feeling that I keep going back to. And um, so, at that time, at that when you described the orbs and what you just described to us, you don't remember being taken up into a craft. No, not that day. No, not that night, or when you were supposed no. to be sleeping. Okay. No, it was um, it was right. It was a little bit after that. It was um, maybe uh, say maybe a week after that. Um, okay. That, that, yeah, then, yeah, this was a, probably the biggest night of my life. 
Okay, so um, there was uh, the same type of energy in the air, like a stack feeling. Um, and uh, next thing I know, um, I, you know, I've got this feeling like I'm scared of the, uh, the drop to the uh, door and that's in the closet door. And, and next thing I know, um, bang, I'm, I'm, I'm at the top of our staircase. And um, what I guess is referred to today is, is, is you know, a glider that I heard, but they were like um, two that I, I thought they were like ghosts as a child. They were illuminating like with a, like a, like a five-watt bulb would, you know, they were kind of um, just figures that... Let me stop you, know, you for a minute, Tom. Have you changed your position from where you were sitting or something? I'm sorry? Have you changed your position from where you were? Because we're getting a lot of static now. Mm, I walked around a little bit. All right. How is it now? You're, you're it good now, now so <laughs> just uh, maybe stay still. <laughs> no problem. That's okay. Fine. That's fine. Yeah, okay, that's go fine. ahead. Um, so the, the, uh, there were two that were in um, at the top of our stairs. It's a, uh, it kind of like, uh, illuminated slightly, like, um, like I said, kind of, um, I don't know what you heard a minute ago, but almost like it was a five or three watt bulb, you know, would give off that slight glow. So you can't really make anything out exactly. But at the time, as a child, I, I, I remember thinking that they were, I had a lot of similes when I was young. Is that why I remember this so much? I thought they were ghosts or, you know, something to that effect. And, um, mm-hmm. So I'm at the top of this uh, landing at the staircase. It was a huge, we just slide down this banister all the time. And uh, the next thing, it was kind of like, um, it was like an, I don't remember going from A to B, but it was almost like a like a flash from a camera or, or like, a, like a wave, you know. Just And I'm at the top of this, uh, our property line, which we had a 75-acre horse farm. And um, I don't remember getting from there to the, to the top of the hill, but we were um, maybe uh, 300 yards from the house, and um, on a prop near the property line, which was to my left, uh, Matthew was there, and there were about uh, four or five other beings that were there. And again, there was this like illuminating type of um, thing to them, whatever whatever it was. And so you walked, felt like um, you were sort of automatically transported with a flash of light. Well, I wouldn't say that because I don't know, but, I mean, I don't remember A to B, so I don't want to overstate anything. It's pretty wild as it is, but, you know, I remember being in the house. I remember, like, a some sort of, you know, feeling and, and like, a, a flash of some sort or, a, like, a, just like a, more like a wave, like a like you, when you get hit with a wave in the ocean. And okay. That's it. And I'm at the, so I don't know. I could have walked. Like, I don't know how I got there, but... Next thing I remember, and again, these are like, um, you know, I remember a lot of it very, very clearly, but there is some things that are not so clear, and I'm not going to, I don't overstate, but, so, this, we were, the, the edge of the property, the tree line kind of came to like an L, where our property kind of broke, and became someone else's property, and there was a trees on both, in front of us and to the left of us, and we were right there just before we were going into this break into the trees, 
And I was first. I was walking, and they were behind me, and Matthew was in with this group. And um, I came to the, the hedge or, or the tree line, and um, which I have on. Um, I've got the exact location. I rode my horse up there the next day. So um, I know exactly where it was. And um, there was a huge rock there that um, Matthew and I uh, used to sit on and stand on. Matter of fact, in the picture you've got on your on your page, I'm standing on that rock, which was maybe 30 yards from where it landed. So I came to the, the tree line, and um, off to the right, a little further past that rock or the boulder, really, there was a, an opening in the in the trees. And um, I looked to my right. For whatever reason, I don't know why it was first. There's a lot of things that don't make sense, but it is what it is. So I looked to my right, and, and there was an opening, and I kind of stopped there because it was this, um, like a, what looked like, and again, it's a simile, but it looked like a pile of dirt, a huge pile of dirt. And um, I, I stopped, and, and there was a figure or something out to the right of it. And um, you know, I, I stayed, and, and, and I stayed. And I looked behind me, and Matthew and every other figures were there. And uh, I was moving, um, and then I felt like compelled to, in some way to walk forward a little bit. Not fast, I just kind of slowly started walking forward and and uh, looked behind me again. And I was checking on Matt a lot, um, and a lot of people don't know this, but he actually saved my life when, on Easter a couple years before that. Or a year or so before that, when I was stalking, and got help. But I was very protective of him, and I looked again, and there were, nobody was there. Uh, Matthew wasn't there, nobody was there. I was by myself, walking toward this uh, craft with this figure there. And um, the closer I got, actually, the easier it felt. Um, and I used the word like a calm came over me, but it's kind of what it was. I, I, I sometimes I think, well, I should have been frightened, but then again, I kind of already was. Uh, everyone was gone. I was there and basically in the woods by myself, so I couldn't have the closer I got. I guess the more comfort I felt or the calmer I felt, maybe because there was somebody else there. I don't know, but I, was, I wasn't I was that scared, you know. Um, so I got within maybe uh, two or three feet and um, I was standing right there and it's um, like a, I say like a hooded like a hooded gray because um, it's not like there. Um, I saw it was like a real face. It was like a like a like some type of a pullover thing. And I didn't know that at the time, but later on, I, it kind of all looked the same to me. So I um, anyway, I'm standing there, and um, he took his right hand. I remember this like it was yesterday. His right hand, um, that's what it was, and put it on his chest. And the next thing again, it's the same type of thing that happened earlier, and now I'm inside this craft, and my brother's standing about four or five feet in front of me, and he has a being to his left, and I was behind him maybe five feet again. And uh, What did the outside of the craft look like? Did it have a oval shape? What what was it? Yeah, it was what kind of, of um, yeah, it was like a flat box. Like I said, it looked like a hill of dirt at first. It was dark, and it was... It was kind of like, um, it was like a, almost like black, but um, I'm sure it was more like a charcoalish or something. Or like, I don't really know. I never saw it in the daylight, but it was definitely dark. Um, and there wasn't any light, really. 
it was pretty dark there. The stars, I guess, were out or whatever. You could see a little bit to walk, but and your eyes fixed, you know, get adjusted a little bit, but it was definitely dark. Um, but um, it was kind of, um, I mean, it wasn't, it was saucer-shaped, I guess. I only saw one one part of it, but it was higher in the middle and tapered on the sides a little bit, like a hill up dirt. Were there um, trees around? Yeah, trees behind it and trees kind of in front of it. I picked, I got the spot on Google Earth. I actually have the exact spot. It's on my website. Okay. I rode my horse up there um, the next day after school. But um, anyway, um, I'm on this, in this hallway type of thing. And uh, so I have this um, individual or being to my left, and I my brother has one to his left. We're always on our left. Um, and I walk to my right, and I pass my brother, and I go down this hallway thing where I'm being kind of, I've got like, um, what I refer to as kind of like an escort or a, or a guide of some sort, which is kind of the way it's been. Um, there's, al- there's always like someone that um, kind of uh, plays with you or uh, is, is kind of your liaison of some sort, if that's the word for it. But um, I walk down the hallway, and uh, it wasn't that long. It was maybe, uh, I don't know, 12 feet maybe. And there was a, a new, another room there, which again was kind of was much darker than the hallway, and the light from the hallway did not bleed into the other room at all. I remember that very well. It was almost like the walls themselves kind of illuminated like a glow stick would. Um, oh, that's interesting. And um, I don't know if the uh, floors did or not, um, but uh, the walls definitely did. I mean, the light was kind of everywhere. It wasn't. There was no bulbs there. I don't. It was smooth hallways, and it was very bright, and the, but the other rooms were not, and the light did not bleed in, so um, it's the best way I can paint a picture for somebody. Um, doesn't mean I'm right, but it's the way it appeared. Okay. Then once, once I'm in this room, um, I take maybe a step or so, I'm actually doing it in my house right now, maybe a foot or two inside the doorway, and um, I'm kind of like hand it off to this this other one, he's standing right inside that doorway, and there were there was um this room was about I got it measured out pretty well. The tables there were two tables um, that were more like desks or like areas where people would stand in front of. There was one in front of me that was about five or six feet in front of me. It was probably five or six feet long, about the size of a person, and it was about five or ten feet from the wall on each side. And there was another one duplicate to it to the left, and I was on. I came in almost behind it, almost to the far right side of it, and uh, there was an individual there, and there was a duplicate to the left, and there was one at about 10 or 11 o'clock in front of me, looking back at us. And Did they still they were, look like they had hoods on? They were hooded guys. Yeah, it was. They all looked the same, basically. I mean, everybody kind of looked the same. Um, but they clarified that he, he says hood, but there were, it was more of a headgear. It wasn't like it was a hoodie type hood. Yeah, it's kind of like something that would, uh, you know, being Halloween, it's almost like a Halloween mask. You know, it's kind of like something that goes over their head, um, either because of viruses or germs or whatever. That it's just I didn't really ever see what their faces really looked like. Although I did see a biological eye 
underneath one of the right lenses of someone when he turned right in that doorway, so there is an eye underneath it, but nowhere near as big as it looks. But it's definitely something that goes over there. There's no, there's no mouth moving. There's no, um, you, it's just, they all kind of look the same. And uh, so anyway, um, there's uh, the end of the taller one to my left. And uh, I'm kind of looking behind the hallway now, and I see Matt. Again, I look behind, I see my brother um, 10 or 12 feet behind me. There's a, a being with him, again, to his left, and I've got one to my left. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of, you know, what? And uh, they just all of a sudden um, puts his hand on my, just touches my left shoulder, not hard, but, you know, enough that I could feel it. And for whatever reason, I, I felt like it was going to be okay, like I wasn't, Odd as it sounds, um, it wasn't um, horrifying. It was different. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, what are you going to do? You're, you're young. But this to me was like an indoctrination. It was kind of like a, a schooling, you know, the way I look at it, with everything that's followed. And that's kind of how I'm looking at things, too. It's not always what happened at the moment. It's kind of how I look back at it now and, and piece it all together like a puzzle as to why these things happened. And and that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. Like the orbs, when I saw them in 66, you know, I really didn't, I couldn't make out exactly how I felt about it. But when it happened again, then I saw it better as I was older and I was able to put this together. So uh, anyway, there was a, we put a, there was a, the front of the craft, at least I think it was the craft, it could have been something off the front, but in front of me, this massive, which came up, which had um, a star figure that looked like a sneaker. I used to Congress All Star, and I remember it looked just like a sneaker. Had, okay, uh, I missed uh, that. Yeah, it was like a, the front of the craft had um, kind of like a, uh, a projection of some sort. Um, maybe it was brilliant. We had a black and white TV, so this was absolutely overwhelming. It was. Um, kind of crisp, like a plasma television would look or something, but it was a front about 20 feet wide, maybe not quite that big. I was young, but it seemed big, um, maybe 15 feet high. It could have been less than that, but it just seemed huge. And, um, and again, we had a little 20-inch black and white television back then, so uh, this thing was just overwhelming. And um, it was like a star pattern on it, which, you know, it looked like a sneaker, had like a high top sneaker, had a couple that came down and went to the left. And um, I just remember it as being a star pattern that reminded me of a sneaker. Don't know why they showed it to me. No idea. I've tried to figure it out for years and I have no idea if I find it. I'm sorry? Was the uh, sneaker lit out? Yeah, the, the stars around it, it didn't, it wasn't a picture of a sneaker, it was a picture of stars that made the figure of like a sneaker or a boot. You know, it was uh, maybe like six or eight stars that came down the top like where you're going a sneaker and then shot to the left. So it was like an L-shaped star pattern that were very bright, they were bigger, they were very illuminated, almost like, you know, like planets would be opposed to simple star sparks or whatever in the background or specks. Do and you know... Why he was showing you that? No, I, I really don't know. Um, I don't know. That's why um, a lot of this doesn't make sense. I, you know, it's not like and um, like you're speaking English with anybody. It's 
it's a feeling. It's a, it was like a touch. You get like an energy. You know, you can pick up things. Like if somebody's aggravated with you, you can pick up on it. If, if something's okay and sometimes you have a chemistry with somebody, you feel relaxed. That's kind of how it was. You had it like this. It was going to be okay. And they were trying to tell me something. And this was their way of doing it. So, you know, the hand touched on my shoulder and then they show me this massive image. And, um, okay. and I'm trying to understand. And, and again, I'm young and it wasn't, whatever it was, I wasn't really getting it. But anyway, um, shortly after that, and this is the image that has become like, uh, so significant for whatever reason, was a willow tree. This huge, <laughs> Sounds crazy. A willow tree um, with light coming through it. The willow tree was lit up like with yellow coming through it, and there was a, ba- a body of water, and um, it had like a couple of um, images in there. Um, and that stayed up for a while, and um, I, I really, to this day, think it was just a symbolic message for whatever, whatever reason. But um, and Alvin can contest this later. We there might be something more to it, but. At the time, I again thought, well, maybe they're trying to tell me that this is very similar to their, where they're from, or that um, this is a place I'm supposed to look for. Or, um, and at the time, again, standing in front of it, I didn't have these questions. I was kind of like, wow, you know, it's beautiful, it's big, it's huge, um, and, and I'm trying to understand it. But looking back, um, and we'll get into this later. I think there's a reason it was shown to me. But um, so anyway, that was really the gist of it. I mean, it, um, we I stood there for a little bit, and, and um, we, uh, I kind of went back to that doorway where he had turned, and, um, and I was leaving, and I could see like this, um, it looked like a, a yellowish or orangey-looking um, biological something underneath that lens which kind of sold me on the fact that it wasn't their face and being that it didn't have like a mouth that moved. And so um, that was kind of toward the end of it. And I wanted to leave. I no, I no, longer, I no longer saw my brother. I couldn't, um, I couldn't find him anywhere. Um, but uh, and again, the next thing I remember then is um, back in the, in the bedroom and um, waking up from, you know, um, and like what happened. And, I went to school, and um, the next day I got my I got my horse at a, a pinto named Thunder, and I used to ride in competitions and so on, even way back when. And I took my horse up and found exactly what it was, and I'd never actually been to that point before. I knew exactly, you know, where the thing was. I looked at it. I could tell everything was right. I I remember it. So I used to ride up a lot after that to. Uh, that spot, and, and uh, I used to ride all over up there looking for, uh, for any um, signs of it. So it was very, very. Um, I, mean, I, I did not uh, leave that whole uh, day um, in the way that would be like um, like I was supposed to forget it. it when I was, it was meant to last. That that whole um, day was. Um, very, uh, um, it was for a reason. It was a purpose so you feel for like it. you were supposed to remember it. Yeah, yeah. It was, and I keep going back to the fact that it was like an indoctrination, and it's still not easy to talk about, so I'm sorry if I'm not 
it's flown with this, but, you know, memory lane, I mean, even as long as it's been, um, very weird thing to talk about. And, um, but it was very real. It definitely happened. It was there. The landing spot, I knew exactly where it was. I rode my horse there. And I'll tell you something else. I went to um, the school. So I'm going to jump ahead just a moment. Um, and my first day of fourth grade, I walked into my class, and there were all these pictures from the, the children from before. I had all these drawings of these little green men from Mars all along the wall. And I remember saying to the teacher as I walked in my very first day of school, I said, they're not green, they're not from Mars. And she said to me, well, how do you know that, Thomas? And, of course, she didn't believe a word of it. <laughs> but I, <wouldn't. laughs> I made an attempt to tell her. But, uh, so, uh, that was really it for 66. And, um, and the willow tree thing, we need to touch base with um, a little bit further on because it, it kind of has a significance. Um, All right. Like We've got about six minutes left before the break. So um, what do you want to go to next? Where, where, where do we want to take these listeners next? Well, I think 67 is um, very important because I was at one spot when my brother was at another, and we have like a check and balance of what happened in 67. And then, um, you know, we can talk about um, 69, or we can talk about 2009. Uh, well, let's go, go ahead with uh, 67. This time, you want to lead it off, Matt? Sure, I'd love to. Um, 67 um, was, as Tom described, um, the memories that I have from that evening, I remember in such great detail. I I've talked to many people about it, and, and like many memories of his childhood, they kind of come through like little 10, 15 second video bites. I hate to interrupt again, but both of us are echoing now. I can't figure out what to do. Um, you guys. Am I, uh, am I, am I okay? Uh, no, I think you're not. Know, but uh, I am, and uh, Matt is. So I am moving, trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, you might try, Matt, just putting your thumb over your mic on your phone. Oh, it says they're saying that I'm getting audio on your radio speakers. Do you have speakers on? No, I don't. Okay, because you're just on your cell phone, so you're not at a computer. No, I'm on no. my cell phone. Okay, well, okay. this is pretty weird that um, y'all had this trouble on church. Now I'm doing it. This okay? Hello? Hello? Yeah. I'm here. <laughs> Okay, we're okay. all here. All right. What are we doing? What are we doing? Um, Matthew was trying to tell you about 67, but I guess uh, that will echo I issue there. But um, what, what if uh, is he okay now? Can he talk or? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. I, as I was saying, is it was a it was a it was a warm evening, um, and we were getting ready for bed. I had. Uh, I guess the echo's coming back again. But I um, had, had 
taking a box of animal crackers, and my mother was chewing us both up to bed. There was that same energy that Tom was describing. It was frightening me. Um, everything started to get louder, and I started feeling a bit claustrophobic. Um, and so I leaned down. I was yelling at Tom to stop picking the door. There was no response. I leaned down. Tom was gone. Now, I know he didn't go out the bedroom door because we always had the bedroom door shut. And it was one of the old farm styles where it was like a you move a latch and lift the handle to open the door. So I would have heard him leave. I was just to the left of the bunk beds. Um, but at that point, everything kind of just stopped. The light was gone. The rattling stopped. I scurried off the bed, and I was struggling with the door to get out of the door. I did have the sense that something was in the room, something was behind me. Um, I didn't turn to look. All right, I'm going to interrupt again. Um, hold that thought because we do have this echo problem going on again. And it's break time, and we'll see what we can do about it uh, during the break. Uh, okay. Now what we're going to do is we'll take a 10-minute break, and we'll come back and uh, let you finish telling that story now, okay? All righty. All right, thank you. You've been listening to the Joiner Report. Hi, 
You've got to listen to ICAR, that's International Community for Alien Research, www.icar1.com. I should know, I'm Irish. Hills of Dakota, there lived a young boy named Rocky Raccoon. And one day his woman ran off with another guy, hitting young Rocky in the eye. Rocky didn't like that, he said, I'm gonna get that boy. So one day he walked into town, booked himself a room in the local saloon. Rocky Raccoon checked into his room. Gideon's Bible Rocky had come Equipped with a gun To shoot off the legs of his rival His rival, it seems Had broken his dreams By stealing the girl of his fancy And she called herself Lil But everyone knew her as Nancy Now she and her man Who called himself Dan Were in the next room at the hoedown A rocky burst in And grinning a grin He said, Danny Buck this is a showdown But Daniel was hot He drew fast and shot And Rocky collapsed in the corner Proceeded to lie on the table 
He said, Rocky, you met your match. And Rocky said, Doc, it's only a scratch. And I'll be better, I'll be better, Doc, as soon as I am able. And now Rocky Raccoon, he fell back in his room. Only to find Gideon's Bible. Gideon checked out, and he left it no doubt. Celebrating Halloween all month long with special fiendish guests and topics ranging from the occult to face-to-face encounters with Bigfoot to time traveling, ghost hunting, and demonology. Ending on the 30th with our special Halloween panel telling tales of fright. Tune in Saturday, 10 p.m. Central at the Church of Mavis Radio Show. Hosted by Jeffrey Pritchett and Guy Weddle. Brought to you by Paranormal Radio Network. Check out our forum at MavisIncarnate.com. Are you interested in a radio program that focuses on the deeper aspects of the UFO topic? Would you like to explore the facts and truths of what ufology and UFO research are all about? Then, join us here every Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network for Eye to the Sky, the UFO Synopsis, with your host, G. Andrew. month, highlighted at the very end by Halloween. Some would think that Halloween is the most paranormal of holidays, and while we can debate whether or not it is, we all love some laughter and fun. Bobbing for apples and trick-or-treating, pumpkins, jack-o'-lanterns, the smell of baking apples, shot corn, wreaths of wheat, hay rides, cow tipping, strange scary monsters, goblins, ghosts, and witches of every sort, all are a part of our collective memories of this month. Stay tuned to the Paranormal Radio Network and don't miss the magic of this month. Hey! Hi there! Got your attention? I'm Gia Scott, and I was curious what you were doing from 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time on Tuesdays. See, I host this really interesting little radio program that airs live then, and we bring in all sorts of guests. 
authors, experiencers, and everything in between. It's paranormal and guaranteed to make you go, hmm. My guest list is always up at www.gscott.com and do tune in to the Dawn of Shades from 7 to 9 p.m. on Tuesdays. A radio program that looks at the UFO topic from a fresh perspective. Sound interesting? Then join us here on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network every Friday evening at 11 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central 4 to join a report hosted by journalist and researcher Angela Joyner. Hi, this is Rob Simone, and I want to tell you about my brand new show here on the Paranormal Radio Network. Each week, I bring you the most interesting people on the planet, the most in-depth discussions, and the most controversial issues. We'll go where no talk show dares to go. Join me every week for the Rob Simone Talk Show here on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network. Light up your night with The Kevin Smith Show. Hi, this is Kevin Smith. Join me Monday through Friday right here on the Paranormal Radio Network. questions about everything? Would you like to escape from your proverbial box? Just leap out and explore our world in ways you've never imagined? You can have that opportunity. As we grow and expand, new features will be added, allowing you to experience radio programming at a fresh new level. I invite you to join me, November Hansen, host of Voice of the People. Together, we can expand our horizons and peer into multifaceted possibilities. This program will broadcast live Saturday evenings on the Paranormal Radio Network. this week's worldwide broadcast of The Joyner Report. Now here's your host, Angela Joyner. All right. Welcome back to the second half of The Joyner Report at WPRN-FM New Orleans and at UFOParanormalRadioNetwork.com. I apologize for the echo you guys were hearing. We've been feverishly trying to work this out. Um, Maybe we've got it fixed. I don't know. But tonight I'm interviewing uh, Thomas and Matthew Reed 
the Reed family has a history of abductions for the last 46 years. Um, they started reporting to MUFON in 1987. The case number is 22994 if you'd like to look it up on MUFON CMS. And we uh, seem to have lost Matthew, but uh, I believe we, and we also have Allison Burgess here with uh, MUFON, and we have Thomas. Is everybody hearing me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, I Allison. Fine. All right. And uh, luckily, I don't hear an echo this time. So um, the where we left off before the break, um, Matt was telling us, uh, his experience in 1967 of what he remembered happening. Um, he couldn't find Tom. Um, he remembered the closet uh, door was shaking. Uh, there was a lot of things going on. He had been talking to Tom, but suddenly he wasn't there. If that's the way, that's the way I understood it. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, he um, he has a really good uh, memory of that. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely uh, correct. Um, there, there was, and, this, and when this happened, if, if you don't mind, I can pick up where he left off. I, I'd okay, like go ahead. Talk about it because he's, it's really the one thing that he remembers, obviously more than I do because I wasn't there that long. But uh, the, uh, yeah, the room kind of, um, just before that happened, um, my my mother saw the um, the lightning and it was what looked like lightning and there was a lot of flashes and a lot of bright light and. Uh, it was just, uh, it looked like, like Matthew said, it looked like a, a thunderstorm. He was young, and it was a thunderstorm, and he kind of curled up in his blanket because um, it was it was what he expected to be, you know, a lot of thunder and so on. And, and um, so anyway, um, yeah, I'm um, looking off the side of the bed to see the lights out our window, and uh, we didn't have uh, air conditioners at the time, so on a cool night, we'd leave the, the windows open, and, and um you know, and it was one of those things where you're like, well, today you wouldn't do that. But we were on the second floor, and it was a country house, so we, we'd leave them open. And uh, Speak so up a little out. if you can. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so we, um, I was looking out the window um, and uh, to see where this light was coming from. And, uh, yeah, things were kind of like you could hear a jingle here, a rattle there. And, um, and again, it was one of those things where, um, you know, uh, I, was, I was then gone. But uh, and however that that happens, but um, my brother um, at that time didn't, uh, you know, he ran out of the room and went to find my my mother and, and grandmother to tell her that, you know, Tom's gone, and uh, ran into their room and um, tried to wake up uh, Nancy, my mother, or Marion, which were sharing a room because we had a we actually had a grandmother at the time that was that had cancer and, and was staying with us and she had taken Marion's room so my, my grandmother actually had put her cot in my mother's room um, so that uh, to give a free up a room for her so he ran in and tried to wake up my mother and my grandmother and they were just like they would not wake up they would not move they would not it was almost like they were you know like someone had given a like tranquilizing or just out they would not move it was just um, you know he was pushing on them and you know so he's very and, scared and he can't wake them up Exactly, and um, then really it's his point from here. But he had figures in, in the in the bedroom, and um, and uh, at that point he, uh, you know, he was trying to like hide behind my mother's bed, and um, he, uh, you know, this this uh, what he refers to as, and, and again, this is kind of what 
the, the terminology is is a you know like more of a like a, a reptilian looking thing or a crocus looking thing it wasn't didn't look like it could be a humanoid it was different and it had um it was standing near my grand the end of my grandmother's bed and kind of turned and, and looked and, and went out the door and then he kind of hid and, and scared behind the bed didn't want to move anywhere and then a few minutes later my mother came out of it and came and opened up the door because he had told her that Tom was gone opened up the door at the top of the stairs and went to go in our room and the next thing the door shuts and Matthew is now on board with me that wow. was really the part that he wanted to talk about because he's much more detailed in it uh, we've talked about it a lot so I can kind of take over for that but that's really what happened and and I was back where I was moments ago, or, you know, in the last conversation. Hello? In, hey. All right. Looks like we've got Matt back now. <laughs> hey, I just started, I was, tell, I was telling him about how, you, you know, picking up where you left off, where you don't, you know, you went into grandmother's room and mom's room and and uh, how this uh, reptilian-like thing was there. You want to you wanna finish that? Because I think I did a pretty good job of it, but... Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I apologize for getting a hold of me. I'm not sure what's going on with my cell service. But anyways, yes, after I got into my um, mom's room, um, I was laying. Um, she was laying on her left side facing the doorway. I had my um, my head on the small of her back or on her hip at that point, and um, two of the beings came into the room, um, went over to my grandmother's bed. Um, shortly after that, Two more beings came in. I was trying to shake my mom. I was trying to get her awake, and um, it, it was as it was as as if she was just shut down. She wasn't responding. She was. I could tell she was breathing, but I really, even at that age, I'm, I'm not understanding why she's she's not waking up. Um, when they how they got on top of the bed, they actually rose and were on my grandmother's bed, and I was like she's got to wake up thinking she's got to feel this but the bed wasn't moving it wasn't like they stepped up onto it they literally just levitated and were on the bed um the they, they didn't really have a defined shape they didn't I, you could i could tell which fa- way they which way they were facing um but they just glowed and, and it and i and i too also just thought they were ghosts i thought these are just ghosts, and this is freaking me out. Because at that age, I had no idea what an alien was. We didn't talk about it. It wasn't commonplace in my age group. Um, so I thought they were ghosts. But the reptilian being that came in, he was very defined. He, I could see his legs. I could see he had shape. He had a very odd-shaped head. Really, the best way I could describe it is almost like a praying mantis um and he was very scary the other ones didn't really scare me other than the fact i thought they were ghosts but this thing um very intelligent the way it moved um but it came in and came to the foot of my grandmother's bed and with one step he stepped right up onto the bed um and was kind of just observing her at this point i had my back against the wall. I'm now shoving my mother with her feet, trying, you know, with my feet, trying to get her to move. Um, and she just wasn't responding at all. I began to make a bit of noise at this point, and the reptilian 
um, the fifth creature just turned his head and looked at me dead on. He saw me. He knew I was there. Um, this 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 point, this was really freaking me out, and I'm I'm just shoving her to, to wake up. He steps back off the bed the exact same way he stepped onto it, basically backwards. Um, turn and took two steps towards where I was, and I froze. I was absolutely terrified. Um, the other four left the room in the same, actually in reverse order of how they came in. So the last two that entered in, they were the first to leave. First two that entered in, they were the next group to leave. And this other one, this this reptilian-type creature, just started to turn and, and just scan the room as he was taking steps back out of the room. Okay, um, I'm a little confused because you said you're, you refer to him as a reptilian-type creature, which... I'm all new at this, too. I've, I've been doing it two years, but I understand that is a lizard-looking, big-toothed whatever, but n- not a praying mantis. But you described him as looking like a praying mantis. Is that right? It, it was. I mean, it, it was a combination of things. Um, his legs moved like a praying mantis. They were almost double-jointed, but... His legs were never straight. That was a thing. It was just as if he was always in a partial bend. Um, and it, he just didn't move the same way as humans move. And just his motion. Um, he had more of a human-type body, but his head never really looked down and up. It was always kind of to the side. And, 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 and I hate using the word robotics. I'm not saying it was a robot, but it... The movements were very robotic and precise in the way he stepped, the way he stepped back off the bed, the way he kind of turned. wasn't wasn't characteristic of how humans move. Um, okay. I mean, I I really wish I could draw because I can I could draw the same. I could just know how to draw. But, and you were five uh, years old at this time. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Um. So he started backing out of the room, and in the process of backing out of the room, he was skiing the room. At this point, my mother's legs kind of started to slide off the bed. At this point, I'm pushing lower and lower with the strength that I had. And as he exited the room, she started to slide off, and she was kind of half out of it. was like, what? And I just started yelling. I said, Tom's gone. Tom's gone. There's people in the house. They're on Nan's bed, and I'm, and I'm just panicking. And she's like, what? And she gets up. And she starts going out the bedroom door. I was right behind her. She made a quick left out the door into our bedroom, and I stopped at the top of the stairs of the banister. Um, I had peed myself. I was embarrassed. I kind of was holding onto the banister, and I'm looking down the stairs to see if they were down the foyer area. But as my mom entered our bedroom, the door slammed shut. And I wasn't sure why it slammed shut. And in that same instant, and I kind of describe it as, I've had a couple of surgeries in my life, just at the moment they put you to sleep, mm-hmm. um, if you could imagine dragging that out for about five seconds, or maybe six seconds, where you almost hit a heat, and everything is gone, and the next thing I know, I'm standing outside um, near our horse barn, I'm face-to-face with my brother, 
Um, till this day, I get the shivers when I think about the expression on his face, which was absolutely blank. He just was staring at me, but it was like he was staring through me. I look up in the up into the sky. I remember that I still remember the warm breeze, uh, the cool air on my ears, and I see these two streaks of light shooting from what would be north to south go across the sky that it, it stayed, the light stayed admitted, that it was just two streaks, and then from the west to the east, two streaks, and I looked at that thing, and it was a giant tic-tac-toe in the sky. Um, like my brother mentioned, though this happened, I didn't feel scared. I was, I wasn't afraid. I just don't, I don't know how I ended up there, but I'm just staring at my brother, I remember hearing the door slam shut in the house. My mom's running out screaming, you know, Matthew Thomas. And um, she comes up and I, she kind of grabs me and then she runs over to Tom and she brings us back in the house. She's kind of looking all around. Are you in the front yard or the where you're I'm in the sorry, driveway? Yeah, I was in this. We had a very large driveway that um, was mostly dirt just to the left. Um, and I guess the distance from the house to the horse barn would have been 45, 50 yards. Um, to the left was another driveway that went up to the barn. That was much narrower than the rest of the driveway. So your mom sees you both and starts screaming your names and runs towards you? She runs towards us. My back would have been to her. Tom would have actually been facing her direction. So you've been gone um, how long? About two hours. Two hours. So, um, your mother, did she see you disappear or what happened? What did she say? Well, she, when she grabs us, and, and this is, this, this little bit of tidbit is what's very key to me. She grabs us and brings us back in the house. She was absolutely hysterical. Not out of control hysterical, but I remember to this day, she was very, you know, she's going to get us something to drink, and I remember putting the glass down, and she's, you know, has her hand to her head, and she keeps looking at Tom, who's just standing in the kitchen with this blank look. He didn't say a word. I remember, he didn't say a word. And and I kept saying, what's wrong? What happened? What's wrong? And, and I don't know why she did this, but she grabs some baby aspirin and gives it to my brother. And, you know, I just like the taste of it, so I said, well, can I have some? And she comes over, and she gives me some baby aspirin. Mm-hmm. And... And so then I looked down at the kitchen table, and there was two Coke caps sitting on the table. She was taking care of my brother. I remember she was taking his jacket off or taking his shirt off. or She was taking his clothes off, his, his upper part off. And I take my right index finger, and I push this Coke cap. And mm-hmm. I just tap it, and it flips in the air maybe about four or five inches and lands right back on its the way it was as I pushed it. Mm. And so I said, look, <laughs> you know, and my mom turns over and looks and I push it again and it just pops in the air and lands back on the table. I did it one more time trying to see if my brother would see it. At that point, my mother grabs my brother's arm. She comes over to the kitchen table, grabs mine, brings us into the living room and we get cuddled on the couch. I started crying at this point because Tom was still just completely lethargic, absolutely lethargic. But this is a tidbit that stuck with me 
and she's rocking. She starts doing this motion of rocking us in her arms, and she says, don't worry, they are gone. And I've never ah. really asked her why she said that. I, I never really confronted her about that exact bit. And it wasn't until um, just really a few months ago that I really delved deep into really openly talking about this in such detail with the with the awesome group of MUFON who really helped me through this experience of being able to cope with it. Um, but that, those are their exact words. I remember when she said that. I remember she said that. And I was just, why did she use those words? Why did she specifically say, don't worry, they are hey, gone? Mind, mind if I interrupt here for a minute? Just speak up oh, a little, if you would, Tom. Right. Yeah, okay. Um, perhaps, all right. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. just as loud as you can. I, I know it's all just right. uh, that you're on the phone. Okay. One, that... of, one of the other things that, um, what, you know, this, this thing with the kitchen table and everything, I, the part that I remember, I remember standing there and, and, and seeing, you know, um, my brother at the table and my, my mother there. Um, my mother come running out of the house and, and uh, what I think is really uh, worth mentioning is this willow tree thing again, which is kind of bizarre because we never really knew, um, and this is only probably the way the months fell, probably um, maybe six months later between the, the seasons. And my mother had gone out um, after this, bought a willow tree, and planted it at our horse um, drinking water. Mm -hmm. They had like a little pond. So... That, to me, you know, with the comment, you know, we kind of knew back then that my mother may have seen this whole image, too. Just because we didn't see her there, it doesn't mean it was the same day, but she had, again, seen what we saw. Otherwise, well, what does she say about that now? Well, she's actually um, writing um, an entire uh, section, um, putting a lot, everything down on paper, everything that she remembers. I mean, I've got a copy of a lot of it here. Uh, everything she remembers from... Day one, I mean, um, she remembers. She initially said she doesn't know why she went and bought that. She didn't yeah, know she why, why she went and bought it. She still doesn't remember okay. seeing anything, but it's in her. And the thing is, every house we've ever owned, she's always planted a willow tree. Even Matthew now has a willow tree in his front. I, every house I've owned, and, and this willow tree yep. image, we didn't really discuss yep. because it wasn't really an integral part of the experience. But right. I've owned really four planted. homes now, and three I planted, and the last one I, I just bought, it, it had one, and it's why I bought it. <laughs> and yeah, a really nice I, willow tree. tree is very significant to you. Well, yeah, it, gets it, even, yeah, it even gets a little bit crazier, as Tom will explain, of how it even ties into just a couple months ago. Yeah. Even when I moved to Tennessee, I had uh, been renting a condo, and when I went to look at these condos, there were all these willow trees and a brook, and I, I, went, I got that condo there. So... But this is kind of before we, we really started talking about it. And, like, like Matthew's got a lot of detail from 67 at a very young age, but, you know, my mom's talked to us, we've talked to us, we've all had this check and balance thing, which makes us really interesting because we all know where each of us was, what we were doing, um, and how we felt about it. So um, it, that, that makes it really unique to me. Is, is how and were you in Connecticut at this time? No, Massachusetts. No, Sheffield, Sheffield Massachusetts. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So uh, that 67 is, is really interesting. Um, anyway, um, that, that, I think you wrapped it up pretty good as far as, you know, as far as the majority of uh, 
you know, what happened in, in six Well, the other thing that I was wondering about is when, you know, your mother finds you out in the driveway, where was your grandmother? In the house. Yep. She was in the house. So, she was, um, house. was she... She put blankets, she put blankets on, the, on the sofa and everything. She went running out. My grandmother grabbed, like, blankets. And, and afterwards, after she gave me the aspirin and everything, she had... Um, put us to bed downstairs in the living room, and they stayed there and had a fire going. They put a, we had a big fireplace, and she started a fire um, and put us in the living room, and she stayed with us that night in the living room. Your grandmother or your mother? Both of them. Both of them. We fell asleep with our with grandmother and my mother in the living room. So when you were standing at the kitchen table, and Matt describes you as having this really blank Glass, look. Yeah. Uh, you know, you being very lethargic. Do you remember like you were wanting to speak but couldn't, or what were you thinking? Did you did you know that you were being lethargic? I, I was kind of. Um, I think at that point, you know, I look back at it now, and I was standing kind of near uh, the cabinet right where the stove was, looking at the the table, and and I remember being there and just kind of looking at. You know, my mom and, and Matt at the table, and I, I kind of know that I was just kind of out of it. I don't know why I was so out of it. Um, and I, neither I neither of you remember where you had been. Well, no, Tom does. He knows exactly where it was. I don't. Oh, yeah. I remember okay. that. I remember at the time, kept looking in the same hallway in that same area. I was looking behind me to find out. You know, where's my brother? Because last time my brother was in the hallway. So I thought, okay, it's kind of a repeat situation of what happened. And I kept looking. He wasn't there. And I got kind of aggravated, I guess, or, or upset, you know, um, panicked a little bit about Matt. And, I'm, you know, as I'm wondering if um, he wasn't to be uh, part of it that day or maybe he was. But um, he arrived later on, and then we both are back at the house. So I don't know why, uh, again. Obviously, I don't know why, but, uh, you know, he did, he was there with me shortly, and then we were both back, and, and I actually was, when I came back, we weren't right beside each other. I was near a barn. I was near a side of a barn uh, where we kept five or six horses in this red part of the barn, which was, like Matt said, about 45 feet from the house, and I had walked down the, the driveway a little bit, and uh, with a driveway that went up the hill met, met our uh, circle, like, um, it was a huge open area for uh, trucks and so on. And I walked up to him and I stood there and just stared at him. And, and it was, we were both at originally maybe, uh, I don't know, what do you think, 25, 30 feet away from each other? When I walked down to Yeah. Him. Did you have any marks on your body? I don't think so. I didn't look at anything back then. Um, I have one now. I don't know wh where it came from or what it is, but. Apparently, it's it's you know. Uh, when when you were kids, like when yeah. you were kids, um, did you ever have an urge to sneak out of the house? And yeah, we didn't uh, run out of the house, nah, even though you're okay. So you didn't run around at night and sneak around with your friends or anything like that, because you knew you would have no, gotten no, trouble. Yeah, this wasn't one of those things. Matter of fact. We were the only boys on the whole street. There were yeah, we didn't have any kids. friends on the street. Yeah, we had a we owned half the friggin' block. I mean, <laughs> we owned seventy five acres, and the closest house was probably 
200 yards away, and you know, we used to walk, believe it or not, a mile to a bus stop. Did you ever have any kind of urges that you wanted to go outside at night? No, this wasn't one of those things. No. We, no, this we had a lot of freedom, yeah. but we never, we of, we never, it was one of those things where it just, we, we liked being in the house. I mean, we we were very a very close knit family. I mean, it was um, my brother and I had a had a really, you know, we were just tight. You know, he never did anything mean to us. We never. I mean, if we wanted to go sit out on the screen porch, you know, before bedtime, you know, my mom and grandma would say, "Yeah, sure." And they'd sometimes sit out there with us, or sometimes they wouldn't. But it wasn't, you know, we. But in the same vein, we also had respect for my mother and grandmother obviously respect for their authority so there wasn't any kind of temptation I guess is the best way to put it um, if we wanted to go for a walk we oftentimes we would go for a walk down the um, dirt road you know before bedtime or something so there was no mystery there was nothing for us to do any, even if we got outside there wasn't anything right. to do you know, okay. even in the winter time we had, we had snowmobiles even back in the 60s um, you know, we'd go for rides on the snowmobiles. We had horses we could ride anytime we wanted to. Um, uh, it was uh, we had a lot of people. My mother had uh, workers there too once in a while. She'd have uh, you know people taking care of the horses. I mean, it, it was like a private little your own little fortress. I mean, everybody had there were workers there, and 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 uh, so and, and it was pretty pretty quiet. I mean, it was uh, like I said, there wasn't um, a lot of traffic or or things to do. I mean, we all did things together. You know, we. Uh, you know, we were in at a certain time. We were in bed by nine, sometimes eight. Um, so it wasn't like we were being mischief. You know, going out and sneaking around. I mean, it wasn't wasn't our thing. We. This is what one of the things that makes us so so different. Right. Okay. So uh, you, uh, your mom and grandma, put you to bed downstairs by the fireplace. They stayed with you all night. And your and Matt remembers um, your mom saying it's okay. They're gone now, which really st- stood out to him. But he didn't ask any questions at the time. And uh, so you're five and seven by this time. So how old are you now? I'm almost fifty-one. Okay. So um, this has been ongoing. For all of these years? Yeah, well, this, what happened back then was probably the majority of it, but um, then what happened uh, in the, well, in, I, you want to, I know we're running out of time probably, so you want to talk about the better, the bigger or better, more uh, interesting. Uh, Unless you want to come back on uh, next Friday night, we could do that. Yeah, we can talk more. Um, but anyway, the, this is a really significant type of um, part of this whole thing, was it had gotten very quiet. Um, after that, there was a situation in 69, which we'll say that for next time because that's an hour in itself. Okay. Um, I can give you the short version, but um, it was one of the – I'll just give you the short version. We can talk about it more later. But in 69 was the last time it happened in, in really until several, you know, 10 or 15 years. So – we, uh, the four of us were in a, a blue Bel Air station wagon that my mother had um, just bought. And the, one of the reasons we know the years so well is because of the cars they had. Um, she had a gold Mustang, then a white 
Mustang, and then we had the, uh, yeah. the station wagon. So, you know, we put it together by the cars we have. That's how we've, you know, the, the whole round table thing, if you will, that's how we've pieced it together, along with the horses we had, because she used to buy and sell horses. And I rode up on the Pinto, so I knew that it was 66 to the, uh, mm-hmm. for a doff. <laughs> but that's uh, then Jewel and everything else. But um, so anyway, um, 69 was, uh, if there was ever a time that this was uh, really scary to us or different or cold, it was 69. Um, the four of us were in a, a blue Bel Air station wagon, and we were coming back from a horse show. And I got, and again, you know, there's things you remember. I got stung on a lip by a bee, so I knew that. We were uh, drinking a soda, um, coming back in the station wagon. And uh, I think it was along Route 7 in Sheffield. There were railroad tracks to our right. And uh, we, uh, and again, this is um, kind of, you know, you hear this a lot, but um, we we had, well, first we saw what looked like a flying strip mall behind um, a row of trees. This thing was, it really looked, it was that big. It reminded me of... Um, like a whole slew of stores. I mean, it was that lit up. It was that big. It was nothing like we had seen before. And it was probably maybe 10 minutes from our house. And um, it was off to the left side. We were, my mother was driving. My grandmother was in the passenger seat. I was behind the driver's seat. And my brother was in the back seat. Kind of, um, you know, we're just we're kind of talking and stuff and looking out the window. And all of a sudden, you see these lights behind the trees that just were, you know, it seemed to go on forever. And we're driving, and for a minute you think it's kind of pacing the car or following the car, but you don't know if it's moving at all because it just you keep going by this thing. And you're looking at it, and it looked like the lights were going on and off, but it was because of the trees, you know. You, you go by the trees, and one minute you see the light, and you don't, and you see the light, and you don't. Mm-hmm. It looked like it was pulsating. And, uh, I don't know, a car came to a stop, and um up to the side of the road. And uh, the next thing, I'm, I'm in this... Uh, I'll get more of this later, but I was separated from them. I was in this, like, huge open area um, that uh, was, like, nothing around me. And um, anyway, uh, well, I'll feel all that's That's another story. But, um, but anyway, when we were returned from that day, um, my grandmother was in the driver's seat. I'm sorry, would have been in the driver's seat. My mother was in the passenger seat. Matthew was curled up in like the fetal position in the back seat, and I was in the behind where I was in the behind the driver's seat. And I looked out the front window. Now my grandmother, who now would have been in the driver's seat, is in the middle of the road. So I open my door and I get to the grandmother was in the middle of the road. The middle of the road. So I get out the door and I start walking towards her, and she's kind of, and the way I've worded it is kind of like walking aimlessly, like um, not sure where to turn or where to go. So I get out and I start walking to her, and she turns, and there was a store that looked like an old Western Union store or something where you could buy uh, uh, bicycles or strollers or, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, one of those older, and it had like um, concrete walls outside of it with the dim yellow light, so it looked kind of, um, you know, it was open, but not sure if it's open kind of thing or, you know, you, you want to go in there. But um, she's walking down towards it, and by the time I catch up to her, she's already gone in the front door. And uh, a lot of glass in the front of it, 
So I go in, and I walk by this uh, the clerk on the right, kind of behind the register, and my grandmother was facing me, and she had her hands on a stroller, like one of these um, that a child would be in, you know? Right. Baby stroller, yeah. Yeah, she's pushing it forward, and then she's looking down. She pulls it back to her and slowly push, leans into it a little bit, pushes it forward, pulls it back, as if there's like a child in it. And she doesn't seem to know what's going on. So I, I walked over to her, like Nana, you know, called her Nana, and um, I took her hand, and she looked, she was all like teared up, and um, I started to walk out, and we were all kind of, this is a weird day, so it was nothing like before. And um, so I start walking out with her, and, and she's kind of like, holding my hand too and I'm more than and let's go and um, she walks by the clerk and kind of slows down like she wants to talk to the clerk and say something to him but um, never did and we walk out and we walk out together and she's like starting to cry a little bit and and um, kind of like in shock really and um, that's the way I feel about it now and um, we got back to the, the car and we walked her to the side. My mother was up, and and she got in. His, she was in the driver's seat, and and Matthew, as far as I remember, was still laying down because he had his head on me when we were on the way home. I was holding him like he was asleep or something. I don't remember if he was up or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no one said anything on the way home. It was just really quiet, and no one talked at all. And and um, my mother like everybody was in some kind of shock. Yeah, my mother remembers a lot of this too. She talked to Steve White about it. Um, and there's, like I said, there's things that we all kind of remember from the same night. And um, anyway. Where had you very, been? I'm sorry? What did your grandmother tell you about um, where she had been? Well, my grandmother talks about this a little differently, or used to anyway. <laughs> um, yes, she I does. Yeah. She, um, to her... Um, you know, the way she described it was she was she saw shadows, um, and she was very religious, um, and that's why we talked about you know the figures glowing in the home and and um, you know she was uh, you know church every Sunday and and in the beginning she had a different feel about it you know like maybe it was but after this incident uh, it really changed I mean she um, she was really uh, floored by it. I mean, it really affected the rest of her life. Um, How so? Yeah, she became, she became more engrossed in religion um, to a almost frightening degree, to be honest with you. Um, right. She got to a point that she just wouldn't talk about it, period. It was end of story, done. And she just would just, Married as she put it, I'm turning it all over to God. I'm turning it all over to God. And she wouldn't discuss with it, which was one of the reasons I was very, my grandmother was very um, influential in my life, is one of the reasons why I clammed up about it was I had no one to really talk to in detail, and she would just, you know, you need to give it to God, you need to give it to God, and like, okay, and that's kind of the way it just ran its course. The whole thing, the whole thing to her affected her beliefs in, in the Bible and stuff like that, because I always said after that, and I don't want to get totally off track here, but... To me, this whole thing really has an effect on how I look at, um, you know, uh, evolution or how things happened, and and um, it's it just to her, I think 
it kind of crushed a lot of things. It, it questioned her faith, I think, and her reaction to it was to just delve deeper into yeah, it. Don't talk about it. So yeah. this was 1969, so you would have been... Uh, I was nine. Nine years old and seven. Nine and seven. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, my goodness, this is um, very interesting to me. Um, we've got ten minutes left. I think I would like to have you guys come back on uh, next Friday night and so we can uh, delve into this a little deeper, if you don't mind. And I sure would like to get your mom on also. Is your grandmother still living? No, she's not. Okay. My mother is, though. May I ask you something? Could I, could I just give you, um, to wrap up some of the things I believe in, like I swear to God it won't take more than two or three minutes? Well, we've got ten, so you're all good. <laughs> all right. One of the things that um, I think is relevant and, and what has taken place and why this happened, I mean, first of all, I do believe that this was definitely um, something that was going to happen before we were born. It was, it was going to happen because it was just the, the, uh, the DNA, if you follow it, was already set in place. We were going to, it was going to take place. And um, so uh, there was no questioning you know, these are going to happen. I mean, it was, it was, this whole thing has followed our bloodline. And who knows how far back it's been. But um, with that said, um, every, it seems like every generation of our family has had some heightened experience. It wasn't, um, I think that there's something that, um, that was needed from us, um, whether it was, uh, and I'm, I'm just say blood because I don't know any better, but it seems to be the only link that, um, or, or, or thread, if you will, that makes any sense mm-hmm. because those that, that had Rh negative blood and certainly O negative blood had more experiences than those who didn't. So with that said, um, I just jumped to my son. My son has documented um, some remote viewing abilities. He went to the Knoxville uh, hypnosis center he was tested and tested again by the director um he was able to um they were this happened back in school actually when he was i saw that letter on your website from a doctor about his remote viewing abilities right and it's also documented in his schools when he was in second grade he tested in the 99 percentile for the entire country in math when he was in fourth grade he beat a record for um, being able to take 40 or 50 math calculations and beat the fastest time by 20 seconds when he was in fourth grade. That's yeah. documented in his school records. I mean, I can get you that. Uh-huh. Um, and then and he also beat an unbeaten chess pro in fourth grade. Um, he tried out for uh, to do uh, well, some plays and so on in school and pretty much remembered 40 pages in no time and got the lead role in this play. All right, so your son is some kind of genius, so how does that relate to you being taken? Well, it sounds like it to me. I think that's a pretty sure bet. I mean, I used to be a teacher. Abilities, right. And, and this number thing that he can do with mathematical equations, he did it in front of MUFON, he did it in front of um, Max and Steve White, and, and he's been able to do this all through school to the point where they sent him to gifted programs, and, you know, the, the whole school is has documented this his whole life, so it's not something that's just... Right. Recently. 
So do you think his DNA was manipulated in some way? Was your sperm affected when they took you, or is he really your son? What do you think? (laughs) Um, I don't think um, there was anything taken, like this whole sperm thing, but I do think that there might have been some type of blending process. I mean, I've got O-negative blood, which can be given to anybody, so anything can be mixed with it and, and given to anybody. So I don't know if they needed it, if that was, and this is where I'm going with it. I do believe there's some truth to that. But I also think there's something being, or was, blended back into our DNA somehow, because 150 IQ and a photographic memory in the, in the service. What's um, your IQ? 147. Okay, well, so that that runs in your family. I mean, you're a lot of smart people. What is yours, Matthew? Do you know? I don't remember. I was tested when I was in um, elementary school, but I, I never pursued it. Beyond so, Matthew, that. what are your kids like? Do, the, do you know what their IQs are? Do they have any abil- abilities like this? Well, my youngest son, don't know yet, other than, um, oddly enough, you mentioned the chess um, thing. He's at the age of four. He had a curiosity with chess and actually is quite good himself at the age of five. Um, my oldest son, Andrew, um, yes, he, he has some abilities. Like I said, we're just now delving into, um, he's come to terms with some experience that he's had, and certainly after my experience that he was part of in 2009, um, we, we have met one gentleman that he's connected with at Moose on here in Indiana, and we're going to explore that. But, yes, he's, he's gifted in... Um, in a few ways that that's different from everyone else. He, he he has a very unique ability to read people. He actually can tell people when they're lying. He, he we've we've the conversation with people. He's like, "Dad, he's lying," and later we find out they're lying. He he's just very in tune and connected with people on a personal level. He's very intelligent. He did very well in high school, um, and he was just you know a regular teenager. But there are some experiences that now we've kind of tied things, and and things are starting to to really make sense. But the thing with uh, Christo, like, I actually, because the investigators were here in, in Tennessee, it was their suggestion that I take him and get him tested because of all the school records. And, again, I've been keeping records for a very long time. So, you know, when I start presenting these school records, it's, it's time to get them tested. So when you had mentioned earlier on in, in the conversation, you know, what tests have you had, it's really at this point my son has had more than anybody. And um, and I think it's there's a – I think it's – definitely part of this. I mean, my grandmother wasn't that smart. My grandfather wasn't that smart. I mean, they're, you know, they were intelligent people, but they but they didn't have a... Well, but your IQ is 147, so it makes sense that your son is very bright. Yeah, but I can't do the things he can do. I can't take... My son can take numbers, or you can take numbers. You can take five or six numbers, scramble them up, add something to it, whatever, come out with numbers that he's never even seen or doesn't even know you're putting down. You can take them down on a piece of paper, flip them upside down, and then flip whatever four of those five right side up and make a number, focus on that number, and he'll tell you what the one is. He, he can do it eight out of ten times, tell you what that number is that he's never seen in that calculation, as long as you're thinking of it, as long as you're staring at it. And he did it with MUFON, and he did it in front of the... Uh, the director at the uh, Knoxville Hypnosis Center. I'm not. That's just that incredible. Up. And now he is the quarterback for the football team, right? Yeah, he's a quarterback. 
Yep. And a matter of fact, he's doing really well at it. I, I'm trying to keep his name out of it because he doesn't really want any exposure right now. Cause he's well, good luck. <laughs> yeah, he's been looked at by the Georgia Bulldogs. So. Okay, we are down to the last uh, two minutes or so. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking uh, we did cover so much. I know that we did, and I've read a lot of stuff on your website, Tom, and um, I would like to have you back on Friday night. I would like to have uh, your mom on with you, and uh, I feel like we really ignored Allison in this second half. That's I'm okay. So sorry. That's okay. I'm, I basically, I'm just here to help support Tom. You know, he told me after our conference that it was very therapeutic for him, you know, to sort of be able to discuss his experience. So I'm just sort of along for the ride. <laughs> okay. Well, um, you know, and if if you come back on next Friday night, guys, do you have more recent experiences that you can tell us about? Oh, yeah. Yes, I, I was taken in 2009. All right. So uh, I think, uh, you know, we've got a great deal more to talk about. I hope you can uh, talk your mom into it. I'll be glad to call her and, and talk to her also. And um, your case is very interesting. And um, real quickly, before we have to go, Tom, why did you report this to MUFON in 1987? All right, 1987. Um there was somebody that was working with MUFON who was an attorney that lived, uh, or his office was about two miles from my house, um, uh, Robert Bluckman. And um, he, I just happened to uh, go into his office uh, because I needed, uh, I was starting a business at the time, and I needed an attorney, and I just ran into him accidentally, believe it or not. And I walked in his office, and he had, um, you know, pictures of, uh, you know, uh, lights and so on uh, from New York City and stuff like that. And this was in Connecticut. This was in Manchester, Connecticut. And uh, so we talked, and, and we became friendly. And um, I started talking about the pictures and asked me if I had any involvement, and, and that's how the whole thing started. And um, we talked uh, from 87 to about 1993 until I moved to uh, uh, Fort Myers, Florida, um, job transfer. And that's when I met uh, Tim Wilson, who, who ran an abduction group that um, had connections with MUFON. And I called, uh, at that point, Mary Zimmer from the Miami, um, assistant uh, director for Miami, and started talking with her. And um, at the time, you know, um, my father was uh, still doing his thing, but he was back in Connecticut. And so I started talking about it because I was out of state a little bit. It wasn't going to affect him at all. And... Um, no, lo and behold, you know, they, they buy a retirement home in Florida, so we kind of was cool about that for a while. But then once my son was born, everything started in 94, um, just a lot of different uh, things that, um, well, again, you know, we're out of time. But Yeah. Um, so we, All right, so we are out of time, and uh, it's good to know how you got hooked up with MUFON. And um, just so everybody will know, the website is tomreed.info, and uh, you should go there and uh, read the uh, summary they have. And uh, I think uh, we'll all meet up here again next week. How will that be? That would be fantastic. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks to everybody in the Pal Talk chat room, to all the listeners. I appreciate you so much.
So for me, that's it. We're going to see these guys again next week. Have a great weekend. Good night. Thank you, Angela. Good night. You too. Bye-bye. See that part right there? So you just, you don't have to turn your cell phones off, but just tune them to this key. That'd be great. Of course, I don't know what key this is. of a shadow in the corner of a room darkness moves upon you like a cloud across the moon you're aware in all the silence of a constant that will turn like the windmill left deserted Or the sun forever burned